what we've learned since then, it doesn't really matter how much we test something or how much we think somebody's going to use it. As soon as we put it out to the users, they find some way that we didn't test and they find a way to use it that's different than when we expected. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. But we've learned that, you know, pushing something out in its minimum state is really the best thing to do because you can then take that user feedback and perfect the product. Welcome to SaaS Origin Stories. Tune in to hear authentic conversations with founders as they share stories from the earlier days of their SaaS startups. We'll cover painful challenges, early wins, and actionable takeaways. You'll hear firsthand the do's and don'ts of building and growing a SaaS, as well as inspirational stories to fuel you on your own SaaS journey. Here is your host, Phil Alves. Okay, today I have Robin Eisler, the founder of Booster Hub. I'm very excited to have her on the show. She's a longtime friend, and I'm excited to chat more about the product. Thanks for coming on the show, Robin. Hi, Phil. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. So the first question that I like to ask our guests is to tell us a little bit your product and specifically what problem does your product solve? Absolutely. So Booster Hub provides infrastructure for nonprofits, uh, specifically for high school booster clubs for their athletic and fine arts programs. And it enables volunteers to jump into the organization and have a ready-made set of tools that help them communicate, manage volunteers, and fundraise. Got it. Yeah. So, so let's dive deeper. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> so what, like, I understood big picture, but before Booster, what kind of how they were trying to do and how you make the, their lives better? So before Booster Hub, Booster Club's um, typically are using you know 15 to 20 different tools or software applications to do simple things like send emails to 150 people or sell t-shirts online. And what it creates is a very disjointed series of tools uh, that don't talk to each other and are very difficult to um, for volunteers to manage. And most booster clubs are managed by volunteers. So um, they have all these tools that don't talk to each other. No one knows how to use them all. And then a new volunteer comes in and they have to start the process all over again. So Booster Hub enables them to set it up once, have all the tools talk to each other, and then gives the volunteers more time to spend with their kids and, and be on the sidelines, like cheering on their kids instead of behind the computer working on a spreadsheet to try to get it into some other system. Oh, yeah, that's definitely a huge problem to solve. Like imagine having to use a bunch of applications, being all confused. Uh, and, and how did you come up with that idea? So I was the president of, of my daughter's uh, volleyball booster club, and I was actually getting ready to turn it over to the incoming president. And I made a list of all the <clears throat> all the tools I was using. And I had 18 different software applications. You know, I had the social medias and we had Square and we had a website login. And um, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to figure out how to turn these all over. And worse than that, I'm going to have to teach somebody how to use all these. Um, and that's just a nightmare. And then there were a lot of problems with security um, and accountability. There's no way to track who did what in each system. Um, and even like our bank account, you know, we had used the same login for five years. So somebody from five years ago could log into the bank account, um, which is kind of crazy. So uh, Booster Hub uh, popped into my head, hey, we need to use one tool to do all of this. And I was at a time in my life where it was time to start a new venture. So um, we decided to jump in and do it. 
That's amazing. I, I see so many products being built that way. Basically, it was a problem that you experiment yourself and you're like, I'm going to solve this problem so other people don't have to have the same pain that I'm having right now. It was a big pain that you had. Yes. I think that's the right way to come up with with product ideas. And so basically, you left your job as the president of the Buster Club which, by the way, was was volunteer, and you, now you're ready to start a new venture. That, yeah. that, that's how, how it went, right? <laughs> yeah, I had a, I had, had another company uh, that uh, I had sold in 2017, and had actually taken two years to just be mom um, to focus on the kids who were finishing up high school. Of course, within about a week of selling and retiring from my other business, they asked me to run the Booster Club, and of course, when I jumped in, I'm like, "Holy cow, this thing's you know runs just like a business," but it has no business tools. Um, so we need to, we need to solve that. So, um, so I transitioned from the role of volunteer and, um, and then started up the, uh, the new organization. So before we, we keep diving deeper uh, on the, the story of Buster Hub, could you tell us a little bit what a Buster Club is? Maybe someone doesn't know what that is. Yes. How does it work? So Booster Club is is effectively called a school support organization. So what happened was uh, about 20 or 30 years ago, they started reducing the funding for kids' extracurricular activities, whether that be the marching band or the football team or the choir. And uh, so what happened is people uh, sprang into action and started creating nonprofits that could fundraise and volunteer and help support these organizations um, so a lot of your uh, extracurricular activities in your high schools are funded not through the school district, but through these nonprofit organizations called booster clubs. And those booster clubs are incorporated nonprofits, so they have some IRS, you know, technicalities they have to deal with and requirements. Um, they manage volunteers, so you know some of our clubs will have two to 3,000 volunteer sessions over a season that they need to schedule people and uh, arrange people. And then they fundraise. Um, and we have some seven-figure uh, clubs that raise, you know, over a million dollars a year to support their activities. Um, so they're effectively running online stores and point-of-sale stores and, you know, people management systems and all of these types of things. Um, and, and, and all of that to help the kids, you know, do the activity that they, that they love, be it music or sports or um, any number of activities. That's just mind-blowing to think that parents get together they organize themselves and they do everything so they can go and they can they can fund their kids and what they love it's mind-blowing and i think it's cool that you are making easier to do that that's the goal so of course so you had an exit you went into retirement which you ended up working for free for a couple of years uh and now you're ready to start this company uh why do you think you're like you were the right founder to start this this company you know, I really had, um, it, it's always the right time, right? When an idea comes to you and then you just happen to have some recent experience and, and a set of skills to make it work. So I've done a lot of volunteer work over the last 20 years through, um, through different things, through our kids' schools, through aviation, those types of things, and, and then also run businesses. And so, you know, kind of doing those two things together, um, always on the volunteer side, I always saw need for improvement, you know, for, um, ways to, uh, 
sustain the organization's way to turn the organizations over to the next volunteers. Um, and then also being a mom, you know, that side of it. I mean, my official title at Booster Hub is team mom um, because I've been the mom on the side of the field here and on the kids. And I know that, you know, uh, you're out there doing this so that your kid can excel at whatever activity they're doing. So um, it just, you know, the world kind of sets you up for what you're supposed to do next. And um, and I kind of had, you know, the merging of all the traits needed uh, to found Booster Hub. That's awesome. And how did that experience coming from a different industry, but you, you build a, a successful business, you exit that business. How did that help you in your journey to create your SaaS? Because you're going from, you were in aviation, now you're going to build a tech product. It's different, but I imagine a lot of things translated. What were the things that we were able to kind of pick back from your previous experience? So, you know, running a business is really all about systems and processes and then duplicating those systems and processes. And so that part of it was relatively easy in, in how we're going to set up this company, uh, what we're going to do and, and the systems and the processes that we're going to create. Um, obviously, the software side was totally new. We had never uh, done much of that. I did have a little bit of experience uh, building a some customization to our CRM at the previous company. So had done just a little bit, you know, touched here and there on that. Um, but, you know, so definitely use those practices that I'd used for the previous 25 years and building the infrastructure of the company, uh, building the processes, building, you know, uh, project management tools and things like that. Um, and then along the way, we had some great mentors, um, Phil, you being one of them, you know, teaching us the software side and and how to uh, how to develop software. You know, it's really um, I think my role has become I, I don't write code, uh, but I have learned how to develop software and, and get things accomplished and, and um, do it in an efficient way. That's great. And, and by the way, yeah, it was definitely amazing to to be part of the experience with you. But one thing that I remember when we, we first met and we're going to talk a little bit about about that in a little bit, was that I, f I felt like you were bringing a level of sophistication that those nonprofit organizations didn't have, right? So like you were transferred that sophistication that you had when you were running your organization and you're like, okay, I wanna bring the sophistication for nonprofit, for these parents that they never maybe even run a big organization before because you had the experience. I think, I feel like that's one of the biggest things that you brought to the table when you're building this product. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, you even just simple things as emailing, you know, in a lot of booster clubs, they literally send out an email with 300 people on the carbon copy. And, you know, we know um, from a business perspective, that's a really bad idea for a lot of different reasons. And so, you know, just something as easy as giving them an email tool um, where they could manage lists and not have to do something that could, you know, create some communication disasters along the way. Um, there was a there was a lot of room. And, and for the most part, there weren't any established tools for booster clubs currently. So we're really kind of the first in that space and, um, and really, you know, help bring together the specific needs of, of the booster club, which is it's, it's its own animal, right? It, it has very specific requirements. That's amazing. And of course, you understood those requirements very well. Okay, so now you have the idea, you understand the requirements, you're ready to build your product. Tell us a little bit about how did you went about funding that first? And, and how did you build like who built the first version of the product for you? And of course, I know that. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I have to admit, so we we started the process. We knew nothing about software. So we started doing some research. We spent about three months just researching development companies and how that process works. And, you know, honestly, just learning what what's UI, what's UX, what does this mean? What's JIRA? You know, we were kind of breaking down like we've never heard these words before. Um, and, and I think one of the big things that, um, that you know, Dev Squad brought to the table that was huge for us was a tangible meeting where we could, we could take our business idea to you and, um, you know, discuss that idea and break it down into pieces where we could actually, okay, see how this process is going to look. And I think that, um, that's a great tool that you offer, um, with that initial introduction meeting, because I, I'm not sure that we would have ever gotten started without that. Um, so that's a really great way to get started. And then, in terms of the funding, we're a bootstrapped organization, and we uh, we're still planning on staying that way. So it's uh, uh, it takes a lot of resources, but um, for the time being, we're we're self funded and and plan to continue on that path. Awesome, yeah, and and it's just like so you, you went about what made the difference for you to choose Dev Squad, which by the way is my company for everyone <laughs> listening to the show. <laughs> it's you were looking for someone that could help you do the planning and the strategy of the product. And we have a product just for that. It's our Sprint Zero. You flew to Utah and we really got in the same room so we could plan uh, and roadmap the product. That, that was made probably your, the biggest challenge. Like, how do I know where I'm gonna go? Can someone help me with a, with a map, right? Yeah, we, you know, we had the idea. We had a lot of the pieces um, already sketched out, um, but uh, meeting with your team really helped us um, have a more realistic picture of what that was going to look like and a time frame and a cost. Um, and we had we had met with about a dozen companies, you know, via Zoom and, and phone calls. And so we had like, you know, quotes ranging, <laughs> you name it, we had a quote for it. So we really had no idea, you know, what we were jumping into. But that, that Sprint Zero meeting was really effective in um, giving us realistic expectations, helping us build a roadmap to get the product built um, and kind of, you know, feeling like we had done something tangible. You know, it's great to have an idea, but um, that first step is sometimes the hardest step to take. So. Nice. So, so now we have a plan. Walk us through executing on the plan from MVP and even from transition uh, to to bring your own team. Of course, uh, we help you implement the first version of the plan and then you transition to, to get your own team. Yeah. So we, we started with the goal of, of building the MVP. Um, which I still, you know, squawk and yell about, no, 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 we have to have more than that. And, you know, it's always good to have uh, the development team kind of say, no, let's, let's give them the minimum first. So, uh, you know, one is, I think, uh, setting up the MVP was, uh, it was about 30% of the size that we wanted of the original product. Um, but it turned out to be that was exactly what we needed um, as we brought it to market so much of what we have today has been revised and updated since our MVP um, and mostly based on the user, you know, the user feedback. So um, what we've learned since then, it doesn't really matter how much we test something or how much we think somebody's going to use it. As soon as we put it out to the users, they 
they find some way that we didn't test and they find um, a way to use it that's different than when we expected. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Um, but we've learned that, you know, pushing something out in its minimum state is really the best thing to do because you can then take that user feedback and, and you know, kind of per- perfect the product. So we started with the MVP and then um, and then we started with a, a fairly good group of beta testers. Um, we had about 15 beta testers on the original system. Um, and all of those beta testers are still with us. They're all customers now. <laughs> so, so that's worked out really well. Um, and then um, then we transitioned into a paid product. So we were, we were in beta for about three months, three to four months, and then transitioned into the paid product. So it took us about a year from start through building the MVP and then uh, doing the beta test and then on into the, the paid side of it. Yeah, I love what you say about like, you need the customer to be giving you feedback so you can keep improving the product. That's for who you're building the product. That's why it's so important to try to get to market as quick as you can. Yeah. And maybe if you're getting to market, it could mean just having beta testers because the beta testers really help you improve that product until you start eventually charging for the product. Uh, so you already answered one of my questions, which is how you got your first customers. They were all your beta customers. But well, maybe... Uh, expand on like first how you found the beta customers and then after the beta customers become your first paying customers how you went and got more customers after that yeah sure so the first customers were beta and uh most of those beta testers were local booster clubs that we knew somebody in um a few of them were not they were people that had heard through social media or through locally here in our town that um that we were uh, building a product. Um, So I think somebody had asked me, you know, when did you know that the idea was good? And I was in the grocery store one day and, and um, the president of one of the booster clubs chased me down and said, Hey, Hey, I heard you're going to build a system for booster clubs. And um, we were, we were still well in development at that point and, and weren't ready to come to market yet. And I thought, maybe this is going to be a winner if people are chasing me down in the grocery store. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so we had a great group and some of our beta testers referred other beta testers. Um, so we had just over a dozen um, of those groups. And then, you know, we started with just um, classic SaaS marketing and, you know, that's just um, building the funnel, right? So we started prospecting, looking for contact information for our client group and then working through the process of, um, you know, nurturing those leads and then um, eventually selling them um, on the product. So our early set of customers were all very, um, very intense sales. You know, everyone probably had uh, hours of phone calls and Zoom meetings, you know, to convince them it was a good product. Um, we're just now starting to see the organic growth. So we're, uh, in fact, half of our business in August came in organically uh, through people that we haven't spoken with. Um, you know, they've just signed up and become paid customers through our onboarding process. So, so about what I'm hearing is you start with a, what we call a sales-led approach. Mm-hmm. So sales-led, you are doing cold emailing these people, trying to find the right people, uh, showing them the product, and you're like, Really, maybe because the product doesn't have everything yet, it's not as mature, you're like working harder to convince people to, to get on board. And, and as the product developed, now it looks like that you are half and half, or you're, you have a product-led approach. People get to your website, they sign up by themselves, the product goes out to sell, and you guys don't have to do so much of the sales anymore. Is that correct to say? 
Yeah, that's exactly what's happened. Um, and, you know, along the way, we've, we're learning, um, hey, this is a step that everybody seems to be getting stuck at. How can we refine the product at that stage to look different so that people can make that step without talking to us or without having to use, you know, tech support? Um, so we're definitely uh, trying to move to, you know, as much product-led as we can. Um, I think the nature of our business will always remain some percentage of sales-led um, just because of, of how booster clubs operate and um, the relationship model there. But um, And we've also had a big boost recently in our SEO. Uh, we've spent a lot of time working on, um, you know, keywords and SEO work, and I think that's starting to pay off as well. Nice. So, so first you're doing only outbound and then look, now you're doing more of inbound marketing. You're bringing SEO. Do you do any paid too, or you just sticking with SEO and, and, and referrals for the time? No, we don't do, we don't do any paid inbound at the moment. Um, our, our organic SEO is ranking pretty high. Uh, so we're kind of, you know, letting that run and see what those results look like. We've done a little bit of social media, uh, paid marketing, um, just because our, our market is there in, in some of the social media outlets um, and see an okay return. It's, it hasn't been a terrific return. So um, actually what we're finding is our, is our organic SEO is really producing for us the most right now outside of our sales yeah. sales side. Yeah. So are your channels at this point, SEO is your strongest channel, even stronger than your outbound market. Uh, our outbound is still stronger, but SEO is, has definitely, uh, you know, we can tell if we've, you know, how we've contacted people and, um, and we've, we're starting to transition to more and more, you know, are not in our system. We haven't contacted them. So they've come through, you know, the organic approach. That's awesome. I, I think that's an amazing approach for, for a lot of founders, especially bootstrap founders like yourself. You start sales led. You start talking to your customers. Spend a little bit less money, uh, and then you slowly transition into product led, and that helps you to improve the product. Because also in the early days, you're trying to build a product that solves the customer problem, like their pain point. And if you're spending a lot of time uh, working on the onboarding, you're not actually solving their problem. You're solving your problem, <laughs> right. which is get people in. I'm like, if we have to talk to them, we've done something wrong. They should be able to do this on their own. And then I always have proof. These people did it on their own. It can be done. <laughs> you know? so, so what do Kind of, we, you know, we have a, a, on our tech support side, if we see an issue three times, then we're like, okay, something's wrong with that issue. Three different people are having it. How can we, you know, fix the system so we don't see that issue anymore? So, so talk to me about like your first hire. Who was your first hire? Of course, you start everything with like outside vendors like Dev Squad, but now your product it's, has beta users and everything. Who was your first hire? So our, our first hire, um, we, we brought in as our, our chief technology officer. And so we had worked with some wonderful vendors and contractors on the development side, which is, you know, on the marketing side, I have a lot of experience. On the sales side, I have a lot of experience. But on the development side was where certainly uh, from the leading the company, that was my weak point. Um, so we had an opportunity um, to hire one of our contractors who had, who had uh, built a good portion of our system and um, it was kind of funny because, uh, uh, you know, he came to us and said, you know, I'd really like to join the organization. And, um, and on the first day I, I told him that we couldn't afford him. And then three weeks later, I 
double the offer and said, we can't afford not to hire you at this point. So it was, a, it, was a, it was a funny transition in that month because at the beginning of the month, I was looking at things going, oh my goodness, how can we do this? How can we pull this off full time? And then by the end of the month, I was like, if we don't do this full time right now, we're going to be so far behind. And so I laugh at that. You know, I, I tell people every, every 30 days, it looks different. Um, the outlook looks different. And so, um, I read something somewhere that said, like in a SaaS, you need to be trying to hire the people you need six months from now today because it's going to take you that long to get them on board and um, and do that. And you know, now of course we have um, three full time de- uh, developers on our tech team and three part time, so we have a, a team of six over there, and then we have um, you know uh, about five of us over on the marketing and sales side. So I, I just laughed that that was you know, exactly right is we needed to be hiring for where we are today. And then, um, in the last 30 days, you know, we've had, our demand has been so strong. Our team has, um, you know, we struggled. It's just, we, we were lucky to have everybody we did. <laughs> we, uh, we barely made it through this month. Awesome. So you're sure like that first hiring was the right decision. It looks like you're like a little bit worried, but you eventually made the hire and, and was it hard to, to get him to come on board, you had, what have you, like you say, it was a little bit expensive for you. Did you offer equity? What did you do so you could get the person on board? Yeah. So, you know, every, every hire is a little bit different, but um, in this particular case, our CTO had a, had a lot of um, passion about the project. I think that was most important. I uh, was very passionate about the project um, and then wanted to really be a part of what we were building. You know, it was more than just the technical skill. It was, hey, I want to be a part of this. And um, so we did uh, include some equity in there and um, he's now a partner in the company. Um, and it's been a really probably one of the most significant things that's happened to Booster Hub um, because we were really able to um, make our technical side, you know, very robust. And I think um, it's great to work with great contractors, but when you don't, when you become a technology company, you've got to have a, you know, a technology team. Um, and, and we work, um, our customers work a lot in the evenings and they work a lot on the weekends. And so like having our team who understands that is really, really helpful um, because, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday mornings are kind of slow, but Friday nights, you know, holy cow. Last <laughs> <laughs> Friday night was, you know, high school football, Friday night lights in Texas. So Friday night is one of our busiest times. So come on a device out there, like just, it's like, hey, if you're going to build a SaaS product from day one, you must have like a technical founder. That's not what you did. You start with outside vendors and then you kind of delay bringing that technical founder. Um, do you think that that was okay for you? Do you think that's approach that maybe other bootstrap founders should try to follow to delaying bringing that technical founder? Uh, what do you, what's your opinion about that? You know, I think if you don't have the technical background, um, there's some level of you don't know what you don't know, right? And it takes some time to learn what you don't know. Um, and so I think working with all of our vendors, we were able to see the good, we were able to see the bad, we were able to say, this is what we would want on our team. And if we'd have made that you know, hire or partnership. In fact, we had the opportunity early on to bring on a, a technical partner um, and, it, and it wasn't a good fit. And so I'm really glad that we waited um, and we had somebody that, you know, not everybody has this opportunity, but we had the opportunity with somebody who had some experience with our project that had shown, you know, uh, a lot of passion about it um, and then had the skill, you know, that it's just, um, 
there's a wide range of technical capabilities out there. <laughs> so, you know, being able to identify, hey, things are, you know, moving faster or better, you know, when these when these folks are working is is uh, something we wouldn't have known on day one. So I think it was it was certainly the right move for us. Yeah, I, I think like what I, I take away from what you say is like, look, I, we knew so little about building software products that I wouldn't be able to pick the right uh, technical founder at the beginning. I had to learn more about it. Right. And it would be, it would be, so I learned bringing different vendors. I learned so much about what do I need. And, and, and I was more qualified uh, a few months later to, to make that hire and, and to bring that person in because now I understand what I'm looking for, understand a lot of things that allows you to bring the correct person. Yeah. Is that correct? That's yeah, no, absolutely. You really, it, it took us time to learn what we were looking for. Um, and, and, you know, not only on the technical side, but somebody that would fit in with the company culture that's going to fit in with our, uh, you know, values and then also help us, you know, build a great technical product. Um, and so I think that's, um, I just don't think it was, it's certainly something we couldn't have done on day one. Um, and working with, you know, valued vendors was huge. You know, we couldn't, we wouldn't be where we are without, um, without Dev Squad and some of the other companies that helped us, help us, uh, you know, get the boat launched from the dock, if you will. It was a pleasure to work with you in the early days. Yes, absolutely. So what is kind of like the biggest challenge that you guys had so far? If you ask me that question today, it's it's keeping up with demand. So we are we're at that stage where uh, you know the curve is starting to turn, and on most days uh, it takes you know not only full time but twice full time from everybody on the team to get through what we're doing, um, and and you know just trying to struggle. Is it time to bring on new people? And it's always a you know sort of a guessing game. As I mentioned, you never know what it's going to look like in thirty days, and so <laughs> you know we. We, we keep seeing that it looks very different every 30 days, but we're just never quite sure where that dot is going to be. So I think, you know, right now today it's, it's managing demand. Um, I think early on it was trying to do too much too quickly for sure. Okay. So, so if you're managing demand, I, I imagine that right now you know that you have a product that people love. Uh, when did you knew like, look, I built something that people really love and they, they want to use our product? You know, I think the first thing was when somebody chased me down in the grocery store to say, "Hey, I heard you're building this product. We want to use it." So that was that was kind of the first. Um, this might be interesting. Um, in one of our second beta test demos, um, a group of our beta testers offered to become investors in the company, and that was another aha moment of like, "Wow, maybe we are building something cool." And now I think it's about, you know, uh, customer acquisition and customer retention and, you know, what um, we have no churn. So we, we, we're we running with zero churn right now, which is really cool. Um, you know, I, I expect at some point that'll change. But, um, you know, when you have all of your customers re-upping, now we're just coming up on our first year. But so far, you know, we have uh, no one planning to leave um, and, and more customers coming in and, um, and referring customers, you know, referring their other organizations in their school, um, you start to get a little more confident. You know, it's hard when you first start out and you're talking to six people and one or two of them don't like it. Then you're like, oh man, did we build something bad? Because, you know, these people don't like it. 
But then once you get the numbers and you start to get to a point where you've got a pretty large customer base, you can be like, well, maybe we just weren't a good fit for that particular client. But in the early days, that's hard to see. <laughs> it's hard to decipher we weren't <laughs> a good fit versus we built a bad product. And now we're we're pretty comfortable. You know, we know that there's a couple of organizations that we're not a good fit for, depending on how they're structured and uh, that type of thing. Um, and so now I think we've got the confidence that we build a pretty good product and and support a pretty good product. You know, a lot of it along the way is the support. Yeah, that, that's cool. Like, yeah, differentiating. And I think that's another insight for people that are starting right now, trying to differentiate. Did they build, is the problem, the product, or is this person not the right fit? Like, am I talking with my, with my right buyer? Am I building this to the wrong person like is this the person that i want using my product but zero churn that's that's impressive yeah <laughs> that definitely should boost your confidence a <laughs> <laughs> year from now phil but right now we're we're zero churn and, and we don't have anybody planning on leaving so we're we're pretty excited about that but um we work hard to to maintain that that's amazing and, and what let's what was like some of your biggest fears when you kind of like start this whole journey so the first one was that the product wouldn't work. That was a big fear. <laughs> what if we build something and it doesn't work? So that 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 always, you know, even today, that still kind of sits in the back of my head. What if it doesn't work? And I think, you know, that's from being a non-technical founder, right? Like that's the, that's the unknown for me. I can sell it all day long. I can support it all day long. I can market it all day long. But on the technical side, I'm always like, oh, you know. Um, and then I think now it's, um, you know, uh, really being sure that we can fund the needs for the company to get it through the growth periods and, and, you know, build the team to support the organization. Makes sense. Yeah. Making, yeah. Cause when you start to scaling, trying to manage the cash flow, yeah, that's definitely a, a hard thing. So you start this in December, 2020. I think that's when we met. Uh, could you go back and meet Robin from December, 2020 when she was landing here from Texas, just coming to Utah to do her sprint zero and you, you can meet her. What do you tell her? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> what I would tell you is take what you've designed, cut it in half, cut it in half again, and then double how much it's going to cost and how long it's going to take to build it. And you'll be about right. <laughs> <laughs> What's your respondent? <laughs> I should think that. <laughs> It was unacceptable to me in December of 2020, um, but the truth was you weren't lying, Phil. You weren't lying. Because <laughs> I think I told you that. Yes, yeah. You didn't say it in those exact words, but yeah, your MVP needs to be a quarter of the size that you want it to be. It's going to cost you twice as much as you think, and it's going to take twice as long. And if you go into it with that, you should be good. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and of course I, the way that word the question stuck into yourself but I think that's great advice for anyone uh, trying to build a product and, and starting from day one but it's different when you're like instead of what would tell someone else yeah what do you tell yourself <laughs> <laughs> you know so and I we're getting to the end of our interview it's, it's been a great conversation I have just uh, two uh, more questions for you sure uh, the the first one it's kind of like, what book do you recommend uh, for SaaS founders? Oh my goodness! Um, so which one do I recommend? 
Uh, well, right now I'm currently reading The Lean Startup, and that's kind of a good one. It's got a lot of little tidbits in there that are really good. Um, I think I want to say it was you um, that you recommended. It was a, the product-led growth strategy. That was really eye-opening and, and kind of, you know, you can get your customers to to do it themselves. And if they're not doing them themselves, you need to ask your question, you know, why, why are they not doing it themselves? And, and I think that book gave a lot of insight into that. And, um, even today, you know, I look for those pain points where, where are they getting stuck? Where are they calling us? Where are they, you know, getting on the, on the live chat and, and how can we make the product support that so that the customer can do the journey by themselves? Because as you know, you know, it's all about scaling and, um, and if you have to get involved, you can't scale it, <laughs> right? You know, so <laughs> I, I tell that to the team every day. As soon as we have to answer a question or get somebody on the phone or get on a Zoom, that reduces the number of people that we can serve. And so, you know, we look at that on a daily basis. Yeah, especially as a bootstrap company, you're trying to optimize as much as you can so your software can do the heavy lifting instead of you guys absolutely uh, those are great books for sure i have read both of them uh, of course one i recommended for you <laughs> <laughs> so and my final question is where is this booster hub today what could you share about like how big you guys got and where you are uh, and what are you excited about for the future where do you think like guys going to be uh, a year from now yeah so we today we're serving over 5,000 users, individual users on the platform. Um, our, uh, we're, we, we're fintech solutions, so we do payments. Um, so we've, we've just crossed the million dollar mark in, in per year transactions. So we're processing more than a million dollars a year. Um, and I think, uh, um, you know, Again, Friday nights are a big day. And last Friday night, we did 3,600 transactions in three hours. And um, I think this time last year, it took us three months to do that many transactions. So to give you some idea of, of how things have scaled, it's um, it's pretty crazy. Um, we're, we're super excited about the potential, um, about serving more nonprofits, you know, helping people who volunteer their time to be able to spend more time you know, being with their kids. And um, we've got a lot of new um, pieces to the product that are in development now. So development never stops, right, Phil? That's what you told me, it never <laughs> yeah. stops. And so uh, we're building a peer-to-peer -peer fundraising tool uh, that'll roll out this fall. Um, and then in the spring, we have a ticket solution as well as a merchandise solution coming out. And so we're really excited about those products because our we're still really working with our MVP um, so the tools that we built, we've refined a lot of them, but it's basically our MVP suite of tools. And we're excited to give the customers, you know, what I think are the, the fireworks of our product, the pieces that can really help them do amazing stuff in their organization. Um, so we're really excited about that. That's amazing. Yeah. So like the, the big vision that you had, it, it's, it's getting closer and closer, <laughs> doing more and more. It's kind of funny <laughs> because sometimes the, it seems like it's further and further away. Like it <laughs> <laughs> It's because the vision keeps getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> You're like, oh, look where we are. But yeah, look where we got to get to, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah, for sure. Robin, thank you very much for coming to the show. I, I like to keep those short and sweet. I think that was a lot of uh, amazing content here for our listeners and congrats on your success and thanks, Phil. and thanks again for for sharing with us yeah well thank you for having us 
and we appreciate all your support over the years. Thank you. It was my pleasure. SaaS Origin Stories is brought to you by DevSquad. To find out more about how we help entrepreneurs launch new products and help larger businesses plug in a ready-to-go development team, visit devsquad.com. Add us to your rotation by searching for SaaS Origin Stories in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening and remember, every SaaS hero has an origin story.